Now, Chris does not have a clue what trait number 53 is going to be. Are you looking for number 53? Mm -hmm. Wait till you hear these words. I make my boast in him. He deserves all the glory for anything that we have or are or do as this church. And let's keep him front and center like we just did. If we keep him like we have just spent the last 65 minutes keeping him first, he will continue to bless us individually and corporately. Trait number 53 of our brother David, the man after God's own heart, he loved God's beauty. He loved God's beauty. Psalm 146 described under 12 points delivered by our brother, God's beauty. Amen. He loved God's beauty. Here we go. We want to be like this man after God's own heart. I have tried to share with you in updates, in preparatory emails from this pulpit, why God emphasized this man so much. He raised this man up, ordered all the affairs of his life, sent him his spirit when he was a teenager so that we would have this perfect example of a sinful man, not the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ excels David like light excels darkness. But you are not impeccably unrighteous like the Lord Jesus Christ. You can relate much better to David than you can the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord raised this man up for us to see and learn about him and gave us more details than possibly the spouse that you live with. Sherry and I talk about everything. But you know, we, I discussed with her last night that you may know the heart of David in the Bible better than you know mine. Because it's all laid out in writing in depth. If you will think about what is revealed there, his hopes, his fears, his lusts, his passions, his hopes, his praise, his prayers, his giving of thanks, it's all there. Right. Um, and we want to be after this man who's after God's own heart that we might be after God's own heart as well. Here we go. He loved God's beauty. The verse that we have used to emphasize his love of congregational worship is Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I'm not making light of that, but it's not my point right now. I want that other point. To behold the beauty of the Lord. Did you just get to hear the beauty of the Lord from Psalm 146? Did we sing about the beauty of the Lord in number 53 in the red hymnal? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, who o'ershades us with his wings and so forth and so on. We, We come into this house to behold the beauty of the Lord. David loved God's beauty. He told us why he never missed a church service. When he missed a church service, it was because of providential arrangements in his life that kept him away. And he would moan and groan as thirst the heart for water brooks. So thirst my soul, O God, for thee. I need to be back there with that happy throng beholding your beauty in your house. The last song that we sang applied to the same trait of David. I hope you noticed that as we sang it. As thirst the heart for water brooks, so thirst my soul 
my soul, O God, for thee. But then as he lets out what his soul is thirsting for, it's to be back in a church service with the happy, holy throng all together worshiping the Lord. Right. And that you sang it. Number 168 in the Burgundy Hymnal that we just sang. Okay, he loved God's beauty. And I'm sharing that with you from Psalm 27 and verse 4. What is God's beauty? The infinite glory of his nature, his character, his will, and his works. Look at Psalm 96 and verse 6. Psalm 96 and verse 6. I need to remind you and me that this study was not intended to be exhaustive, except maybe in the number of traits that we come up with, but even then it won't be. It's always fallible. It's always got faults, but it's not exhaustive in how far we're going to pursue each point or we would never get anywhere else in content out of this pulpit. Because beholding God's beauty, how long could we take on that? How long is the series knowing God? How long is the series he is altogether lovely? We should combine the two of them in order to fill out this one trait. But we can't do that, so we just take a few minutes. What is God's beauty? The infinite glory, the infinite perfections of his nature, that the nature of a being, the nature of a thing, is what it is made up of, what identifies it and makes it that thing or person. It's the attributes of God that make him God. Then it's his character. How does he conduct himself in relationship to creatures? Then it's his will, what he chooses to do and not to do. Then it's his works and what he's created and done, like we heard from Psalm 146. And we could go on and on with other aspects of his beauty. Psalm 96 and verse 6. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. There, David combines four terms so that we can look at them sort of like synonyms to gather what beauty is. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Those are things that are around God that make him beautiful. Majesty and honor and strength. Look at Psalm 90. Oh, I want you to love the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms extend in value into the New Testament. We are told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The last chapter of the Bible, Jesus is still being recognized as the son of David. David is to be emphasized, and the psalms emphasized, it is the most personal expression of an intimate relationship with God found in the Bible. Right. Other than John 17, but you don't fit John 17. You need a high priest praying John 17 for you. But the Psalms, you can pray every one of them because you fit them perfectly. Lord, help us. I don't want to overstate the Psalms. I don't want to understate them. I want God's balance and God's emphasis. And if you'll think about some of the statements I've made, you know more about David than all the other men of the Bible combined. I could give you a test. You would come up blank on your favorite Bible character if it's not David. But David, we know so much about him. And here, he loves the beauty of God. Psalm 90 in verse 14. 
Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, part of his beauty, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Is that possible? Is it possible to be satisfied quickly and to rejoice and be glad your whole life? Yes, to the degree you keep your mind stayed on him. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. It is when our minds get distracted and entertained with other things that we lose this promise, this appeal, this certainty of the trait of David. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. That beauty of the Lord David is asking for here is his shining countenance and loving approval and favor of his people. Let it be upon us to prosper our way and to establish the work of our hands. When we go out to mend a fence, let it be a fence that holds. When we go out to battle to protect our cities, let us gain the victory. When we start a new business in another town that we're going to stay there a year or so and buy and sell and get gain, let it prevail and win. David prayed that way. Let the beauty of God shine upon us. When David ran out to meet Goliath as an 18 to 20 year old young man, the beauty of the Lord was shining upon him. If you couldn't see him glowing, standing in either army, he was glowing nonetheless because the beauty of God was upon him. He was looking forward to a moment that was certain in his mind. He was going to shut the mouth of the blaspheming Philistine. He, David loved God's beauty. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. You know, I could state the trait, give you three sentences and go to the next one, and I would feel like I was cheating the value of the trait. Or we could take the next 10 weeks and work the beauty of God over. Amen. We've done it before. Thank you, Jonah. Psalm 63, O God, verse 1, O God, thou art my God. The man after God's own heart considers him his property. Did you follow my pronouns? O God, thou art my God. I tried to write it to you last evening. Our God, Jehovah, deals one-on-one -on -one with our souls. Number two, David embraced it and fulfilled it more than anyone else we know. Three, how much do you act, look, and do we know you to be like David? Lord, you know I'm only preaching this, that we might all be more like David. Help us to be more like him every single one here. If I'm last, let me be last, but let my brethren be first. Help us to be more like your servant David. Oh God, Thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. 
Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Sounds like Psalm 146. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee, and I will bless thee while I live. Right. You know, and last night, the Lord worked me over with Psalm 34, 1 through 3. I didn't know what my opening should be for today. But he worked me over, and I was just, because of past memorization of those verses, being able to to read them to myself over and over, and to delight in them in the progression from the personal relationship David had with the Lord down to waiting to get here to when I could say, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Right. Let's get into this team, congregational aspect of God's worship. David loved God's beauty. Most men, most Christians love the Psalms when they find out about them and do a little reading in them because they're written by a man revealing much to us about God. You cannot do a study of the attributes of God without much appeal to the Psalms. You will be turning back to the Psalms because God has revealed himself greatly in that particular book of poetry. You think all poets are questionable or queer? This one killed giants, lions, and bears when he wasn't writing poetry, composing music, and designing a new harp. Not only did David know God, he loved to praise and worship God for himself. Moses and Isaiah revealed to us that God's name was Jehovah. So did David. David was not left behind those other two great prophets. And David even showed us a unique variation on that name, Jehovah, with a shortened version in Psalm 68 and verse 4. Jah. J-A-H. If you know David's God the way David did, and you should... It will reflect outward. We're working on this trait. What will it mean if I'm like David? If I love God's beauty, if I delight in God's perfections, if I adore his nature, his character, his conduct, his will, his works, how will it affect me if I do that? If I'm like David, if you know David's God the way David did, and you should, it will reflect outward. Let me give you one example, because when we look at God's beauty, and it's the first one that came up in the first passage that I read to you, and it's the word mercy. When you adore the mercy of God as part of his beauty, it makes you love mercy. And so you reflect God in your practice of mercy by it flowing out of you that you obtain from him. And listen, brethren, the more mercy you show out of you, he gives you even more. Because to the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Now that is just unbelievable. He's merciful, shows me mercy. I show it to others. He shows me more mercy. Your pastor is still alive, isn't he? I could die tomorrow. I may be in the best health of my life. I love his mercy. I want to show mercy to someone right now. Punch me, throw a hymn book at me. <laughs> I'm just, 
I'm jesting to make a point. I hope that's acceptable jesting once in a while. Follow this with me. Look at Micah. David knew God's mercy. I don't need to show you that, do I? The the number of references that David made, but we want to turn to Micah chapter 6. These won't be words by David. These are words that fit David. Micah chapter 6. David knew God's mercy. He refers to God's mercy throughout. And he showed that mercy. If you love the beauty of God, each of his attributes, especially an attribute, the one that I'm talking about right now, that you can show toward others, that he can show toward you. See, his omnipotence, he can't show to you to show to others because we're very impotent, not omnipotent. And so we're very different in some of those attributes. And we went over that in the Knowing God series. But in those communicable attributes that he can show to us and convey to us and give to us in our new man by regeneration, we can then in turn show others. And this is one of them. And I want to show you Micah 6, 8. This is a wonderful passage of scripture. And it's a life passage for some of you sitting in here because you've told me verses 6 through 8 are fantastic verses about how to please God, walk with him, and be a man like David, though written by the prophet Micah. And I'm not going to read 6 and 7, or I'll get too excited about the verses and spend too much time here. Verse 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. What is good, and what pleases God for a man to do? To do justly, to be a just man, to love mercy, and to be a humble man. Those three things are the greatest sacrifices you can give God that exceed the incredible hyperbolic gifts that you could give to God of verses 6 and 7. Okay, where did that come from? Look at chapter 7 of Micah, chapter 7 and verse 18. Some of you with very good memories should remember Micah 6, 8, Micah 7, 18. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like unto thee? Here is Micah loving the beauty of God. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And so when you learn the beauty of God and you take time to sit and reflect and talk about it, read about it, and to just relish it and to enjoy the different angles and aspects and depth and deepness and height and breadth of God's mercy, it affects us and builds the mercy up in ourselves that we then can show others. Look at Psalm 18 and verse 25. Come back to Psalm 18. Let's get back to the words of David about this little subject of mercy. Just one aspect of God's beauty. It's the one we started out with, and it's the one we'll pursue for a moment before we go to the next trait. Psalm 18, verse 25, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. So I'm showing you the Bible verses. David knew God's mercy in his life. I have sinned against the Lord. What were his sins? Aggravated adultery, aggravated murder. What was the law's requirement for either sin? 
death, capital punishment. The Lord hath forgiven thee. Thou shalt not die. You just said the man who stole a lamb should die. You just said that, David. God says, thou shalt not die who are guilty of adultery and murder. That's mercy. That's great mercy. Unbelievable mercy. Thank you, Lord. David knew that mercy. David adored that mercy. David practiced that mercy. God showed him more mercy. And more mercy. Because he showed mercy. Because he learned it from God. Let's behold the beauty of the Lord along with David. If a person easily gets offended, then it shows they truly do not know or love God. They don't know the beauty of God. They don't love the beauty of God. They haven't adopted adapt, adopted the beauty of God. They haven't chosen to practice that beauty in their own life because they don't have mercy. We want to abound in mercy. If we're ever going to err in a relationship, we want to err on what side? Harshness or mercy? We want to err on the side of mercy. Because when you meet God, which side would you rather have him leaning toward? Harshness, severity, justice, judgment, or mercy? It's pretty easy to answer that question. This trait of David could be developed much farther, much further than this superficial introduction. I hope you know that. When David closed out his life and was lying on his bed, Saul, Saul, Saul was just a young lad, called him over, Know thou the God of thy father. Know thou the God of thy father. He wanted to tell his son that was going to reign on his throne over the kingdom of Israel, Know the God that I have known. Love the beauty of the God whose beauty I have loved. Let that be true of every father to son, every father to daughter. I have loved the beauty of God. Love the beauty of that same God with me. Love the same beauty of that God after me. When I am gone and you are still here, love the beauty of that God. Can you get outside yourself just a little and your little life to adore the beauty of the Lord that endures forever? Everything about your life, except what is done for Christ, will disappear in one nanosecond when you take your last breath. Can we get outside ourselves and our little lives to adore the beauty of the Lord? You do it by sermons, reading, meditating, prayer, fellowship with others that like to talk about the beauty of the Lord. The sermon series, the two that I mentioned already, Knowing God and He is Altogether Lovely, fit this trait. Number 54, he loved sound doctrine. Number 54, he loved sound doctrine. Let's look at Psalm 14. Psalm 14, David loved God's beauty. Number 53, David loved sound doctrine. Number 54, and we are a doctrinal church, but we want to have a personal relationship with God. We want both of these points, and we want them in this order but we want both. We don't want one without the other. Where did Paul turn and where do we turn to prove total depravity? The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Do you mean Paul would turn to a book of poetry? Why wouldn't he turn to the, the harshness of Jonah or Malachi? 
he would turn to the Psalms. In Romans chapter 3, which is the longest description of human depravity given in the New Testament, it starts right here in Psalm 14, which is repeated by David as well in Psalm 53. Look at these first three verses. The fool hath said in his heart, now this is doctrine, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is what Paul would write in Romans chapter 3. But he starts out right here in Romans chapter 3, 10, 11, and 12. He quotes from right here to establish the doctrine of total depravity. David loved sound doctrine, including doctrines like depravity. Let me, we can go over this point quickly. David understood God's hatred of sin and sinners. If you were to, sh to turn to a verse that shows that God hates sinners, not just their sin, where would you turn? Paul? John's apocalyptic literature of the book of Revelation? Jonah? I'm going back to Jonah. For the burning up of Nineveh? You would go to Psalm 5. Once you use Psalm 5, where would you turn? Psalm 11 and verse 5. You should know those references. Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5. David understood God's hatred of sin and sinners. This is, these are just examples to, to, to show you that the Bible teaches us that David loved sound doctrine and so should we. Did David know that God's sovereign government of men limited their wickedness? Does, the, does David understand and teach us that any wickedness that is allowed to occur praises God? Psalm 76 and verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. How much of man's wrath gets outside the government of God? None. Amen. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. If wrath occurs, this boggles my mind. How Bible-reading Christians can ever say, like Billy Graham did after 9-11, I just don't understand it. God couldn't do this. God wouldn't do this. God approves of all events like that, and they praise Him. We deserved far worse. There was more mercy showed in 9-11 than there was judgment. We deserved a whole lot more than 3,000 out of a population of 310 million. Go read some of the judgments upon Israel in the Old Testament and look at proportions. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. I mean, that sounds like a doctrinal statement by Paul. But it's David in Psalm 76 and verse 10. David knew his son coming to reign over the kingdom of God was his Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110, verse 1. David understood the deity of his son. Jesus on earth to the Pharisees. Boys, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? 
son of David? Then why did David, by the Spirit, meaning he was inspired and absolutely perfect in what he said, why did David say, the Lord said unto my Lord, calling his son his Lord? What do you think about that? Well, if you go on and read Matthew 22, it says, they durst ask him no more questions to get in any discussion with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ appealed to Psalm 110 and verse 1 about David understanding the deity of his son. And David understood that he wasn't deity because his son would be his Lord. He saw the future conversion of the Gentiles. I've got 15 or 20 passages here to show you that in the book of Psalms, David saw you and me being converted. He knew and counted on the resurrection of his body from the grave, Psalm 49. When he's condemning all men to be thrown into the grave like sheep, he knows there's an exception made for him, his body. We could continue to illustrate this point, but we don't need to. David loved God's truth. He says that so many times throughout the book of Psalms. Doctrinal truth. This man that loved God and delighted in the beauty of God also wrote what is another theme verse of our church, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. That's David. That's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Hatred coming out again. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. That's a choice that he made. That's a choice that we've made as a church. And to be like David, we make that choice with him. We love sound doctrine. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way, every contrary idea, no matter how many, no matter how great, come up with that idea, it is wrong, and I hate it and despise it. That is where we stand when it comes to sound doctrine. Do you appreciate the vast doctrinal truth and wisdom God's revealed clearly to us? More than revealed to David. If you do, how do you show it? If you do, does anyone know it about you? Does your life declare it? Lord, help us to be like David and let it be seen. Number 55. His conscience was sensitive. His conscience. C-O-N. Science. S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Conscience. His conscience was sensitive. 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'll just tell you while you're, go ahead and write the four words down. David was so sensitive that his heart smote him for cutting a piece off of Saul's skirt while Saul was in a cave. He believed so much in the respect for given authority that when he cut, he didn't hurt Saul, but you shouldn't mess with a king's outfit for the day. And David cut off part of his skirt, and the Bible says his, his heart smote him. I want you to know that about David. Now, brethren, if you haven't crushed your conscience, if you haven't grieved it, and so violated it that it no longer can speak very loudly, and you still have one, when it speaks, obey it. Do something about it. Let it affect you. It affected David. And he, he turned away from doing that. He, it was valuable because he later was able to show Abner, how close was I to your king that you were supposed to be guarding in that cave to have this? 
nephew. How close was I? He had it, but he then was able to address his men. Men, we are not going to touch this king. My heart, you know, I'm being smitten right now inside. He was feeling for having cut off his skirt, a part of it. 1 Samuel 24 and verse 5 tells us exactly what I just said to you. David quickly repented both to Abigail and to Nathan. When Abigail met him and he was on his way to kill Nabal and all the men that worked for Nabal, Abigail met him. She gave a short explanation that you should not let this stain your reputation. He humbled himself. His conscience smote him that she was right and he was wrong, and he said so. It had nothing to do with her beauty. He'd been around beautiful women ever since he was 15. It had to do with the fact that she was right and he was wrong, and his conscience said so. His conscience accused him that what he was going to do was wrong and excused him by saying, I'm not going to touch him, and you're right, and I'll turn away. And then with Nathan, I've already mentioned that I have sinned against the Lord. As soon as Nathan said, thou art the man. There was no, yeah, but, 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 but none of that stuff. Just, I have sinned against the Lord. That is how we must be, or we're not like David. Every one of you have giants, temptations, sins that, that tempt you. And when we're, when we're told inside that it's wrong, our conscience is that apparatus God gave us that accuses us when we're wrong or excuses us when we're right. It's not perfect, but it's a good guideline in in many cases, especially being under the preaching of God's word, our conscience becomes enlightened to know what it should accuse us for and what good behavior it can excuse. But when it speaks up, we should obey it like David did. I have sinned against the Lord. I'm caught. You're right. I'm wrong. It's over. No discussion, no excuses, no justification. Do you know what other kings did to prophets that said, Thou art the man? Kill him. Put him in prison. Feed him bread and water. Look at the difference, brethren. What do you know about those kings? Nothing. Except their violent lives and how they ended them. But there's David. I have sinned against the Lord. Lord, help us to be sensitive to our consciences like David. The candle of the Lord blazed brightly in him as soon as God took away Satan from him after numbering Israel. You should go read it in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 17. As soon as Satan was lifted off of him and it was back to David without being under the duress of satanic influence in order for God to kill 70,000 Israelites because the nation deserved that kind of punishment. That's what I was talking about. 3,000 and 9-11 was a mercy to this country. Compared to 70,000 to Israel that only had a population of maybe 7 million, you want to do the math of 70,000 compared to 7 million and 3,000 compared to 310 million? His conscience smote him immediately. He was conscious. This is not conscience. He was conscious. He could have unknown sins that God despised. Jonathan, you presented Psalm 19 this past week to the singing camp. And you did a very good job. I've seen a video of it. But you went over these verses. Psalm 19 
David was aware that he could be guilty of secret faults. And so he asked the Lord to reveal his secret faults. What kind of a man asks for more sins to be shown in his life? What kind of a man does that but a man that has a sensitive conscience? He was also conscious that God could see any sins that he thought he was keeping pretty secret. That's in Psalm 90 and verse 8. He knew the value of a convicted conscience and true repentance involved a broken spirit and a broken heart before God. He remembered the sins of his youth and asked God to forget them several times later, even though he knew he was forgiven, that God would forget them. Did, have, did you do any foolish thing? Listen, did you do any, did you do any foolish things when you were a foolish youth? And you can ask God to forget them. And he will. But David had a conscience like that. Number 56, he craved God's spirit. Number 56, he craved God's spirit. We just dealt with the conscience. You say, well, how much more could we say about the conscience? How about a four-sermon series from 30 or 40 years ago called The Conscience? How about the proverb commentary on Proverbs 20 and verse 27? where the conscience is called the candle of the Lord. Number 56, he craved God's spirit. David had seen God's spirit taken from a man. Now Saul was probably 7-6. Let's pick a number. Because the Bible tells us from his shoulder upward, he was taller than anyone else in Israel. So let's just say there was another six foot six inch guy in Israel, and Saul was a foot taller, so he was seven six. Now he was a timid man, but when God chose him in response to the wrong request of the church for a king, meaning the nation of Israel, he picked this man that he had prepared because he knew that they were going to ask for a king, so he had this man prepared, seven feet six inches in a coronation was an impressive man when he was this much taller than anyone else. You know, he had to kneel down for them to get the crown on his head or they needed a stepladder to get the crown on his head. But he was a timid man, but God sent his spirit upon Saul and Saul prophesied right along with the rest of the prophets of Israel on several occasions because of that spirit. And when there was a need for the first military conflict Saul, this timid man, took a yoke of oxen, hacked that pair of oxen up into 12 pieces, and FedExed that chunk of bleeding flesh to each tribe and said, if your men aren't here by this time tomorrow, this is what your herds are going to look like. Now that's a man that was a powerful man, made so by the Spirit of God. David got to watch and see and hear and read about that spirit being taken from Saul and given to him. And he craved that, and he never wanted to lose that spirit. And so he speaks about it in the Psalms, not too often, but a few times. Do you know in Psalm 51, where he's confessing his adultery and murder, he said, he said in his prayer, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He had seen it happen. What did Saul do after that? Nothing good. It was terrible. How did he end his last night? How did he die on the battlefield? What happened to his body afterwards? What happened to his family tree? What happened to his daughters? What happened to his sons? It's a nightmare of a family disaster. 
from the Spirit of God being taken away. And so David craved God's Spirit. He had seen that Spirit taken away and he didn't want that to happen to him. He knew some of the important roles of the Holy Spirit, like in creation and inspiration, two examples that can be found in the book of Psalms. He knew God's Spirit was with him, and he knew that Spirit was good. Look at Psalm 139. I know this is a favorite psalm of some of you. Psalm 139 and verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? There is nowhere that we can go or flee that God's spirit is not there. In Psalm 143 and verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. 143.10 Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. When he wants to learn the will of God, when he wants to know more about God and to be led into the land of uprightness, notice, thy spirit is good. He knows the teaching being, the teaching person of the Godhead that he needs. David craved God's spirit. Any person seeking to be like David must be filled with the spirit of God as the New Testament teaches us And much was preached recently about the Holy Spirit from John 7 and from the Higher Ground series. You know, it was just a few weeks ago. Time passes quickly. It was a couple of months ago when we had a prayer meeting on Thursday night for more of the Holy Spirit. Were you there? Oh, you weren't? You were too busy? It's okay. There's two men that you can be like. Saul, he didn't care. David, he cared. It's easy. Number 56, he craved God's spirit. Number 57, he honored his parents. Number 57, he honored his parents. He honored his parents. It is impossible that God could so favor David as he did without this trait being in place. Because how can it go well for a man... And he be rewarded with a long life. And the Bible says David lived a long life, considering that he was a man of war and was in conflict so much and had so much political intrigue going on in the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says he lived a long life, full of days, good old age, because he honored his parents. And the Bible tells us so. He was obedient enough to be left with sheep in spite of the great danger there. A dad couldn't have sent a son that was rebellious or a son that was timid but a son that was totally committed to protect his father's assets. And brethren, that was after serving in Saul's court. What kind of a son that would be promoted, promoted from being a shepherd and promoted past his seven brothers to serve in the king's court would come back home and dad would say, we need someone to keep the sheep out in the back 40. And dad, I'll do it. That's David. He honored his parents. When dad says jump, David said how high? Or just jumped as high as he could. Saluted. Yes, sir. I'll take the back 40. I'll keep those sheep. He didn't say, but I was just in Saul's court. But look who I am. But I'm anointed king of Israel. But Samuel came and picked me. Those other seven idiots that couldn't pass, they should be out in the back 40. None of you would ever think that way. And so I've just exposed myself as a Judas up here, right? 
don't give me any of that. If you had been anointed king of Israel and you had served in Saul's court and you knew that there were seven other brothers that could do that in the back 40, guess what you would have said to daddy? Respectfully, of course. On the job, how good are you at it saying, yes, sir? Or, but they haven't done that recently. Why do I get all these ugly assignments? I'm getting off track. That's employers. We're talking about parents right now. I love this about David. He did not use the danger out there of the bear and the lion to avoid the job or jeopardize the sheep to protect them for daddy. Faithful son. He was happy to be delivery boy for his father's gift to his brothers. Do you know the delivery boy? Taking some cheeses. Son, would you run some cheeses to your brothers in the army? Sure, dad. Sure, I'll leave right now. He had already served in Saul's court. He was already anointed king of Israel. Now he's a cheese delivery boy. And he didn't have a moped to get him there. Love this man. Honor your parents. Is that a hard thing to do to be like David? Honor your parents. He was glad to identify himself to God as the son of God's handmaid. Psalm 86, Psalm 116. I am the son of thine handmaid. Have mercy upon me. He loved his mom. He believed his mom was a godly woman, that God had favor toward his mother. And so, though king of Israel, though king of Israel, he appeals to his relationship with his mother. Thine handmaid is my mother. Through her goodness, do you think you could show me some? Great stuff. It's the word of God. He made reference to mourning for a mother. I've shared that one with you already in Psalm 35. He took special care of his father and mother with the king of Moab when he was in trouble and being chased by King Saul. Do you show all the respect, deference, mercy, kindness, and initiative you should towards your parents? David did. That was trait number 57. May God bless the preaching of his word.